Welcome to How Did I Get This Far? Each episode will tackle the basic skills and knowledge that we all completely missed learning. Soon enough, you'll stop having to ask yourself, how did I get this far? On this episode, we talk about wine. Does red wine ever belong in the refrigerator? And what are the easiest tips for wine pairings? And we even cover how to pick out a bottle of wine for yourself or as a gift. All that and more right now. Hello and welcome to a juicy new episode that is about to uncork the mystery of wine. Great work, right? Those are really good puns. I thought of them. My guest today is Julian Tremblay. He was most recently a tasting room manager at Corsi Graves in the wine country of Sonoma, California. He also formerly worked with Michael David Winery, and he was a former assistant manager and wine specialist at V Wine Room in Los Angeles, California, which I believe is also where we met. So it's good to see you again. Hi, Julian. Uh, it's good to see you too. Yeah, that's exactly where we met. Yeah, so you were the first person I thought of when it came to wine, of course, because that was a great time. We definitely know how to drink. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say something before we start. I always try to be on theme with every episode if possible. So this was an easy one for me. I brought myself some wine and a wine glass and I will be drinking during this interview. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so obviously- What are you drinking? Um, this is, okay. So once I find a brand that's good enough, I will just mm -hmm. stick with it because hence me not knowing enough about wine besides that I like to drink it. This is the Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, classic. Yes. It's great. It's 10 bucks. So it sounds like a decent price. And uh, it tastes good. I like, I like what happens when I drink it. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously I do enjoy wine, but you have more to share than I do. So what's your story behind your passion for wine? Yeah, so it started, uh, I grew up in Vermont. And when I graduated college, I was able to work at a winery on the East Coast, which is super interesting because it's not classically known for all these wonderful red and white varietals we have around the world in Europe and in California. And when I moved out to California about five years ago, I was instantly addicted to everything wine related when I had started every wine room. Uh, I got my first taste of a California Pinot from Santa Maria Valley and I was completely sold. I was like, this is what I have to do. This is what I have to share. This is what I have to talk about with everybody. It's exactly what I wanted to be doing forever. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, I felt the same way, but just about drinking it. <laughs> I mean, that's how it goes. Yeah. But so I love that you wanted to take the time to really know what wine is, what goes into it, where it's from, everything like that. Uh, do you have some questions for me so we can see where my knowledge level on wine is? Yeah, I came up with three terms or kind of little questions for you that I thought were these nice run of the mill. We hear all our friends talking about it. I hear sommeliers and I hear 19 year olds illegally drinking always talking about this stuff like let's talk <laughs> about these terms these are, so this is good research I'm very <laughs> excited for these questions uh yeah I wanted to know so you uh, why don't you tell me what you think tannins are right we always talk about them hit me with the tannins hit me with what you think they are um and then we'll talk about <laughs> oh that's a really good first one I actually had a lot of listeners submit questions about tannins as well Ooh, so I think we all have heard that word and if we haven't, then we probably haven't been to like a BevMo or any kind of liquor store where we asked for help. That was the word they used, like, oh, this one has tannins, so this is the one you should get. So I know it's a good thing. I'm going to say it has some kind of like protein or like some kind of amino, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a fancier word, amino acid, which Ooh. if I'm wrong, I'm, this is crazy. I'm going to say that it's a, it's a, a fancy protein 
that makes your wine healthier. Oh, I love it. I love you're like 50% of the way there. Oh. It's All like right. tannin is just something in in grapes. So as grapes kind of mature and develop on the vine, they're getting what we call phenolic compounds. And it's just like I like to compare it to tea. So the longer you seep your tea, right, the more bitter it kind of gets. Uh, wine and tea are really simple. You want to become a great wine drinker, drink a ton of tea. Um, so <laughs> I basically, you were say drink a ton of wine and <laughs> we <it>. both. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so tannins is basically from from contact with the skin as the wine ages, and it's what gives that kind of that dry mouth feeling and that nice kind of structure, that kind of grittiness, that earthiness can kind of come from higher tannins in wine, and it's just an extra compound that actually does bind with proteins. So you're really close. <laughs> it was really uh, good. I was close. So it, it's self. <laughs> is not a protein it does something to proteins yeah exactly mouth. it's just a binding agent so it's like uh tannins are just a it's a phenolic compound that develops in grapes and as we seep wine or essentially let it age on the skin with red wine you're letting all the juice kind of age and macerate with the grapes in there it's extract extracting some of those tannins and so that tannin value is essentially in a wine is a nice kind of balance between getting this nice kind of crunchiness where it dries out your mouth you want it to be kind of velvety like that cab you're drinking has this nice <laughs> smooth tannins with this nice fruit Wait, let me let me just check to make sure <laughs> yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh yes i feel the tannins now Definitely grapes, right? <laughs> definitely grapes. It's definitely a grape. <laughs> so yeah, so you are you nailed it though. That's a hundred percent what it should be. So uh and in the wine, you know, if you ever drink something, it's like tea, you drink it, it's too bitter, it's probably got it's imbalanced. That's that's kind of my goal for you today and for everybody is with wine, all you're really looking for is balance. If you drink something and you like it, awesome. That's the whole point. So if you drink some wine and you're like, this is really delicious, it's probably pretty balanced as a as a product in itself. Uh, which is really nice. So it's got the healthy balance of nice tannin structure, nice acidity and mouthfeel. Um, those kind of all combined to be like, yep, I'm going to chug this bottle. <laughs> oh, okay. So I thought tannins were just, you want as many tannins as possible because it's healthy, but it's just another part of the, the taste of wine, just as much as you want some acidity and some probably fruit flavor and something else. Yeah. It's part of a balance. Exactly. So as, so as wine kind of develops, it's all these kind of com complex flavors in the glass and in the bottle, tannins are just a part of that. They're a piece of the puzzle. And so tannins uh, in, in wine themselves, they're not as uh, prevalent in, in white wines. And in red wine, we get a lot of that nice extraction from the grapes uh, for, for both the color and the flavor. So all, all wines have that kind of different level. A lot of European wines, these Barolos have this nice kind of tannic structure, this really dry mouth, kind of great uh, velvet kind of leatheriness to them. Um, and that comes from tannins. Okay. Yeah. Now I know more about tannins. <laughs> that was, it's funny because when I think of my wine questions, obviously I have a bunch mm -hmm. to come, but tannins was a big term that I wanted to go over. So I'm glad that I was put on the spot to, to define the word and not you. Great. Exactly it. I wanted to start. I was like, I know, let's tackle it. Let's talk about tannins. Let's just get that out of the way. Exactly. It's done. What's next? What's the next question? Um, I was going to ask you, you know, we were talking about uh, aging wine and red wine and tannins. What do you think decanting does for a wine? Decanting's a good word. Uh, what do you that... think a decanter is? <laughs> I believe because uh, I've been around people fancier than me, that that is that fun bottle that you would think is, I guess, a lamp, but it is actually for pouring wine that aerates it. I'm going to guess that it aerates your wine. 
hundred percent. So you're, you're, you're on the nose. There's the two, the two main parts decanting kind of came around because as you age wine, um, components in older bottles will tend to fall out of the, the solution. If wine is like a chemical, like a solution, as they fall out, you have to kind of get sediment out. So when you tilt the bottle and you're pouring it into the decanter, really classic version is you like this awesome candle behind the neck of the bottle and you can see all the sediment. So you're filtering out sediment and you're also introducing oxygen. So as you introduce oxygen in the wine, it allows more flavors and more kind of uh, esters and these nice smells and aromas to kind of develop and help it settle again since it's been so kind of compressed and compact for so long in a bottle. So you nailed it. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. It makes a lot of sense. I assumed that it was for air. Well, obviously, I guessed that it was for aerating, um, but I didn't think about the fact that it takes away some of the sediment. It makes sense because the top of it is is very small, um, and I've seen in bottles. And I, I had this question as well, where especially I don't know if it's with white wine, but at least with red wine, that sometimes there's little specks in it, which I'm sure you're, are the sediments. Is that parts of the grape? Is that from the process? What is that from? Yeah. So if wine. If we treat wine like like a, you know solution, so basically when you read a bottle of wine and it says like fourteen percent alcohol, the rest of that solution is water. So you have essentially this balance of uh, of alcohol in in this bottle, and as it ages with red wine, especially you have uh, components that are falling out of the the mixture, if you will, falling out of this bottle of wine. And so they're just kind of becoming solids again and falling to the bottom. They're not dangerous. You can drink them. Some people actually enjoy that. It's super rare. I haven't seen it. But um, uh, yeah, so the sediment is just something is it's like with older bottles, you're, you're, the, the typical rule of thumb for me is you're setting them upright 45 minutes to an hour before you pop them open. So all the sediment is at the bottom. And then if you're going to decant them, you give them a nice kind of tilt and make sure you don't get any of that sediment into your into your wine so you can enjoy some older wines. Okay, perfect. Is that the best way for aerating? I would say so. I really like, even if you're going to do it at home, you could do it with a $12 bottle. You could do it with a $200 bottle. When you pop it open, you put in your glass with red wine. And I always let mine sit for about five, 10 minutes, just kind of, kind of aerate in the room. I pour a smaller pour first, just give it a little stir in a glass. Otherwise you can use a decanter. I think it's the best way to get oxygen in the mix because you can swirl it in those big lamp faces. <laughs> oh, true. I don't know if I have the willpower to open a bottle and wait five to 10 minutes to drink it, but That's... did you have another question? I do. I'm so curious. So when I got introduced to wine, everyone's always talking about oak, right? oak barrels, oak flavor. This wine is so oaky. What do you think that means to you? You know, when you drink an oaky wine, what does that, what does that really entail? <laughs> <laughs> I would never say that because I would have no idea what that means. Okay. The grapes are grown on a vine. So I don't think trees are involved in the process of wine. Uh, and that's, that's the only place I know where oak exists. I know there's barrels. Ooh, I think I'm onto something here. There are barrels with wine in them. So maybe it's a bad barrel or maybe barrels, there's different types of barrels made of different wood and an oak barrel makes wine taste differently than like another wood barrel. That is my guess. I'm pretty impressed if I'm wrong. I, I think I'm right. I'm catching myself nodding a ton with you because I'm so excited because with your very astute wine detective behavior, you've solved the mystery <laughs> of, of barrels. So yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So it? in, in wine making, it's, you know, it was something introduced in, in, in Europe and France and, and Robert Mondavi is kind of the pioneer of bringing over oak barrels and stainless steel to California, uh, in my opinion. So you have uh, oak, oak barrels have different toast 
to them and they're they're toasted from a medium toast to a heavy toast and they impart that kind of flavor uh, so essentially when you age wine in an oak barrel it's a great vessel that gives this nice kind of ingressive oxygen because it's kind of porous it's wood so you can control how much oxygen comes in and it also can impart secondary flavors that kind of vanilla caramely uh, flavor on a lot of chardonnays typically if you've ever drank uh, some rombauer chardonnay pretty uh big culprit of some nice vanilla flavors that come from oak barrels that is the weirdest <laughs> fact all right great so i expected to be more embarrassed i don't think i did that bad you did great pass thank you yeah cheers cheers to that all right, but I have many, many more questions, some that are a little bit even more basic than that. I think a very common question with wine is the difference between red and white. I know we had spoken earlier, and my only guess is that reds are from purple grapes and white is from green grapes. That could be the dumbest thing I've ever said. It might be true. What is the actual difference? Yes, I mean, uh, white grapes are, are, are traditionally white, and then uh, red grapes are red on the vine. All grape juice is actually white, uh, technically speaking. It's when you press red grapes, a lot of color impartation comes from the skins of the grapes. So when you're aging red wine, you tend to leave uh, a lot of contact with the skin and the seeds. And some people do even like whole cluster, which means they're involving some stems. And uh, that whole product essentially is what gives that nice tint to red wines and some grapes uh, are deeper in colors like cabernet and they impart some really deep kind of colors whereas pinot noir is a little bit lighter in color uh, and that comes from the actual grape itself that nice light color that they have on the vine um, but yeah that is how color <laughs> comes comes about in the wine world from white and red grapes I, I genuinely i did not know the difference and then as i was talking it out just like I did with the barrel question it like hit me I was like oh maybe it's the grapes <laughs> so stupid no <laughs> not at all until you see it on the vine you know you just it, we're, we're so distanced right from our everyday products you just drink wine all day I'm like I love this bottle I love this bottle like where did this come from so I totally understand that yeah and then that brings me to another question because when I think of grapes I think you know yes there's purple yes there's green yes they have different flavors and everything but they're the same fruit. So when it comes to the bottles, I've heard reds don't need to be refrigerated and white bottles do, but I don't know what, where that difference comes in. So why, why is there that discrepancy? Uh, yeah, so some, so I recommend chilling everything. I think if you can control it, if it's within your power to have like a tiny little wine fridge, I bought like a 12 bottle one off Amazon. Literally it's 80 bucks highly recommend to everybody. Um, you can have this nice little wine fridge that keeps everything at 55 degrees, tends to be the universal kind of cellar temperature is what people in the wine world call it. Uh, and that's because wine, you know, if flying in a plane is a constant battle against gravity, drinking a great bottle of wine is you're trying to catch something on its arc to becoming vinegar. It's aging, it's alive, it's organic. And so you want to keep it nice and chilled and an even temperature. Because uh, otherwise you could shock any bottle if you do too uh, too cold or too hot or in and out of temperatures and that'll kind of ruin the bottle as well. But yeah, so red and white, I recommend chilling everything, 55 if you can control it. And then uh, red you pull out and you let it kind of warm up to room temperature pretty slowly. And as you drink red wine, it's kind of fun to drink it cold and then drink it you know, once it's warmed up, uh, you get really different flavors. Uh, really cold white wines tend to mute a lot of the fruit and you get all this acidity. Uh, if you've ever pulled a Sauvignon Blanc or some white wine out of your fridge, right, and you take a sip and it's like, whoa, that's super sharp. And then two minutes later, but it's so refreshing and delicious, like rosé. Um, so these wines, uh, so there's no real 
you know, it's a personal preference. You like chilling it, awesome. You want to throw an ice cube in your glass, I'll look away, you know, whatever it happens to be. You know what? My mom is going to give me such a hard time that you said that because she always wants to put the red wine in the refrigerator. She's like, I only like it when it's cold. I'm like, mom, it doesn't belong in the refrigerator. I know best about wine and that belongs on the counter. And now I know we were both wrong because the refrigerator is higher than 50 or lower than 55 degrees. So we both would have had bad wine, but I will have to apologize. Number one solution is your closet. If you want to keep a red wine bottle, just tuck it in the closet <laughs> out of the way of the light <laughs> well you you mentioned that the temperature of the wine cellar what is the is that the whole point of a wine cellar is that it keeps it at a certain temperature or is there more of a point to that yeah that's exactly it so wine cellars tend to be uh you know the really really fancy ones which i hope to see or own someday are always uh kind of deep you will you will. Yeah, it's exactly it. dehumidified too so they keep a lot of moisture out of the room which is bad for corks um, they keep your bottles angled, so you always want the cork to be a little bit wet so it doesn't dry out. So at the bottom of a cork, it can collect sediments. Yeah, it's really, there's a ton of science to it. And then uh, 55 degrees is, you know, I think a lot of people have opinions on that. That's just my preference. I put everything at 55, 56 tends to be my cellar temp. And uh, when I can keep bottles, if I'm keeping something for a little bit longer and I can actually have a little bit of self-control, <laughs> I'll, I'll let it sit at 55 on its side. Wine is such a diva. I didn't realize there's so much involved. It is finicky from start to finish. It's hard to pick. It's hard to make. It's hard to keep. And it's easy to drink, right? It's like. Wow. Okay. That's so annoying. I don't think I'll ever have wine at its best, at its like highest level, because I'm not doing all of that. That's Neither insane. will I, though. The beauty is, right, we just got to surround ourselves with friends who drink way more and way better wine than us. And then you just show up at the party. You're like, look, I brought some cheese. I just want the wine, please. <laughs> well, that actually brings me to another hot topic when it comes to wine is the wine pairings. One of my listeners, Sydney Bain, had submitted uh, the question about what the best food pairings are. Um, so what would you say are some of the best pairings with different wines? Yeah, some of the best pairings. So uh, I think... Uh, really similar, we were talking about earlier a little bit about the word balance. Uh, you'll hear me harp on that a lot just because I think that's what makes most things great. Uh, so with food and wine, it's the same thing. You know, you want to pair something sweet with something that has acidity. If something has, is a little bit fattier food like a steak uh, or, or, or these kind of foods that have that nice fat introduction, you want just a slight amount of acid and this nice fruit to kind of complement that. Um, so some of my favorite pairings. I mean, that sounds so easy. I never really understood, but literally it's just, if you are eating something salty, have something sweet. If you want something fatty, have something light. Like yeah. that's so much easier to understand. It's just like cooking in spices, right? If you're going to season a steak or you're going to season your chicken or whatever you're doing, you're seasoning it. And if you over season it, you can taste the difference. And so you, you're seeking that kind of nice balance where you're like, oh, you know, there's a reason uh, we have those timeless pairings of like, I really like, I don't even know, rice, chicken, and asparagus. That works well because all three of those components uh, can mesh together and introduce some salt, fat, acid, heat, you know, this nice kind of going on there, which is really delicious. Um, yeah. And so uh, as far as pairings go, I will always recommend Chardonnay and popcorn or uh, <laughs> cupcakes with champagne. Oh gosh, that sounds great. Uh, yeah. Dry champagne and cupcakes is, is one of my, my favorite. I will say, if I could only drink one type of wine forever, it is champagne. I think uh, sparkling wine you could literally have with every part of your meal, including dinner, and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Were there any other pairings you wanted to mention before moving along? 
Oh man, recently I've had, I really like, so I moved up to Sonoma because I love coastal Pinot Noir. I think Pinot is awesome. So I would always recommend- You moved because of your passion for wine. (laughs) It's so true. I moved because I wanted to drink more up here. Um, (laughs) The Sonoma Coast Pinots, I would recommend a Sonoma Coast Pinot with any kind of fish you're having. I think it's really good. So if someone's looking to go out and do these things and get this awesome, you know, pairing any time of the year, any time of the day, they want to party, they should get fish and they should get Sonoma Coast Pinot. <laughs> um, is there any specific chocolate or specific cheese that you think is best with wine or is, does it kind of depend on all other factors? Oh, interesting. I think it depends. I like uh, dark chocolate and I like sharp cheeses. So like Manchego, these kind of cheeses that have uh, this nice like Parmesan-esque kind of dryness to them I really like that kind of sharp cheese with any kind of white wine but um that's maybe just a personal preference I'm a little biased <laughs> yeah I feel like in the end it's it's going to be a personal preference but I wanted your expert opinion on for sure what to at least start with even though I've already had chocolate and cheese and wine many times in my life <laughs> <laughs> you can't go wrong with goat cheese in like five bottles that's your that's your best friend pairing <laughs> yes that is the end of that's the end of this that's all you have to take away just get cheese and five bottles and everyone will be happy you're gonna be really happy um okay getting a bottle of wine i've had so many people ask about how to even pick a wine i've had people ask about sweet versus dry wines which we went into a little bit um how to pick wines for to bring to a party or an event but first we need to know how to pick a bottle of wine at all I know there's a lot going on on that label. What are some things we should be looking for when picking a bottle to purchase? For sure. So this, <laughs> uh, I don't know if you know this, but I mean, I could talk forever. So I will, I will be as concise when picking bottles. Pretend but... <laughs> you're talking to a sixth grader who's never even heard of wine. Oh, I love it. Sixth graders drinking. I love it. Let's promote that. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> a teenager so... who's not supposed to drink that's drinking yeah, from fair. their parents basement. Yeah. So if you're going out and picking wine, um, my number one recommendation is you you have to, you know, baseline, do you want red or white? (laughs) And then from that avenue, uh, you've got to decide if you want domestic or international. Like, do I want to drink something French? Do I want to drink something from California? Those will always be written on the bottle. So uh, kind of on the front label, how to decipher labels. Uh, A lot of European labeling, unlike California, we label kind of by varietal, right? Um, A lot of French wines are done by region. So if you pick up a bottle and it says like Cote de Rhone, for example, or Bordeaux, um, those are regions in France that use specific types of grapes to, to get that kind of name on their bottle. So it's about figuring out what you like. You know, it's a normal drinker, like I was saying, for me, I, I love Pinot Noir. If I end up in a grocery store, I'm going over to the Pinot section and I'm nerding out. Um, I'll pick up something maybe from Burgundy, you know, something uh, from Bourgogne, these regions in France that I know are known for Pinot. So it's kind of deciphering, uh, doing a little at-home research, which is always super fun, uh, and deciding like, okay, I'm going to the grocery store. I want to treat myself to some awesome wine. Uh, and then you can kind of narrow it down by, by flavor profile that way. I think it's really easy to be like, okay, red or white? And then where am I drinking from? Something in my backyard from California or something from overseas from Spain? Uh, And I actually have to say that there's a really great app called Vivino. Um, Maybe you've heard of it. A lot of people tend to use it. Uh, I use it mostly to record all these things I'm drinking because by the time I'm drinking, I've kind of forgotten (laughs) what I've been drinking. So uh, in a grocery store, though, super useful tool. You can take a picture of the label. 
and upload it and it'll kind of give you a bottle breakdown, which I recommend. You know, if, if you're really getting interested in wine and kind of what you're drinking or what you want to bring people, it's a really fun tool uh, to kind of utilize and it makes the experience really neat to be in the wine store and be like, mm, I can look this up. I know it's from Spain. I know it uses Tempranillo. I've never tried that grape ever. What a weird name, Julian. You can buy it and you can try it out and tell me how much you love it. <laughs> the 101 to not even break the bank, you, you, you buy some wines, don't even have to, you know, buy them based on the label. That's awesome. Do it. I love this label. Drink it. If you like it, then go that extra step, right? Be like, okay, I really liked this bottle that says Rioja on it. What does that even mean? And then you get to look it up be like, oh, I found out it's from Spain. It uses these grapes and I should look more into that. And then next time you're in the wine store, you instantly feel, or even at Trader Joe's, you're like, I know exactly what I'm looking for, what I'm looking at, because I loved this bottle last time. This has got to be similar. So then you can try different styles as well. Um, that's kind of how my palate evolved. I was, I'm super wine illiterate, even after six years in the industry. And I'm like, okay, got to drink this. I like this. Now I got to drink five more styles of it. And then I got to drink two more, take a shot and I'll take a nap and I'll recover. <laughs> <laughs> that's the proper course. oh uh did you have any advice when it comes to wine as a gift um because obviously at that point you figured out what wine you like but what's an appropriate wine and what's maybe an appropriate price point when it comes to bringing wine to an event interesting i always recommend this has been a personal uh thing of mine for a while i tell everybody especially for gifts if you buy something over the, the $15 mark, you're kind of guaranteed to that what I would consider slightly more premium, knowing that it's dry, that it was uh, made in a, in a you know clean facilities kind of things. I just think that the lower price point you get, it's mostly, it comes to cost of production. So if you buy a $7 bottle of wine, that wine could be awesome. It could be the best wine you ever drank and that's great, but it just means that uh, to get it to the bottle, it was a lot easier and there's a ton more of it. So when you start going up in that price range, what you're doing is you're limiting, you're kind of narrowing in. So for gifts, I always recommend above the $15 price range and you should buy something you like because then you feel confident about it. You're like, hey, I drank this awesome bottle. It's so kick-ass. Here you go. Please try this. You have to drink it. We should drink it together. Um, I'm a three-bottle purchaser. That's my rule of thumb. I buy three. I drink one at home. I, I, I store one in my cellar and then I give one away as a gift. <laughs> oh, I love that advice. That's great. Yeah. And I love the idea of bringing something that you know you like, not just because there's a better chance that it'll go over well, but then it's a conversation starter too. Yeah, exactly. You want to be confident in what you're doing. You know, I just think it's the same thing as, as presence, you know, your audience. And then you're like, great. I'm also going to give them something I'm pretty confident with, which is fun. I love that. Great advice. Obviously we're talking about wine as gifts, which kind of can segue into the fact that it's a pretty good gift. Everybody likes wine. And we all have heard that wine is getting more and more popular nowadays. Um, what do you think the reason is that wine has become so much more popular than before? Oh, man. I think it comes down to accessibility and uh, marketing. I think people are doing an awesome job, honestly, at marketing to the right markets as we kind of these generations of people, uh, Generation X and, and millennials, as, as we're getting older, we're building equity, we're getting houses and having kids, uh, getting that disposable income has made it available to us to kind of indulge in some finer things in life, which is awesome. Uh, I know that there was a huge, when I had started in wine, there was a huge surge in rosé, for example, and it's because it became the summer drink of choice for a ton of people. Everybody was making rosé. We had a lot of overages in the market, in California at least, there was a lot of grapes in a couple years in a row, and so after the drought years, there 
there's all this extra grapes. Well, what do we do with it? So some people were making rosé, some people were selling their grapes, moving it to bulk market. So with all this more wine available, it lowered some costs some prices. Uh, and then everybody's doing, you know, we have this big surge of uh, people going out to restaurants too. Everybody, when I was living in LA, we all brunched and we all drank a brunch. <laughs> so the amount of, of wine that was flowing at the table is crazy. And it was really fun to see. So I think it's just this uh, availability and this knowledge. I think it's a lot easier to access some pretty quick facts on wine now. And people are really excited to give it as, as gifts uh, and to kind of drink it and hang out with it and have some at their house for when they host people. Mm. So um, it's kind of, I think that's the popularity rise is, is, is understanding. When it comes to uh, pouring yourself a glass how can you eye a proper serving? I know sometimes when I go to a restaurant, it looks like they are pouring it a certain way or they have, I don't know if it's considered a carafe or whatever it is where they have poured it into one glass and then poured it into my glass. And I think that's way too many dishes, but I'm sure there's a point to it. Um, and then sometimes they get real generous and pour it really high for me because I guess I was super friendly that day. Um, but what is the guideline there and why is the pour like a certain way? Yeah, so uh, that came from, I learned this when I was doing service stuff. So uh, sadly, it's it's the man, it's the, the Department of Liquor Control. Oh. So with the, the legality behind wine, it's a, either based on your, your, your restaurant, your establishment, it's a five to six ounce pour. So those little carafes that I totally agree, superfluous extra dishes, it just makes service really quick because you know it's about five ounces. So they can fill it up, they can pour you your glass and they can leave because mm -hmm. uh, you know you're getting a glass of wine out of it. Um, so we had special glasses made where I've kind of worked and you could see uh, we had a little logo on the glass, for example, and at the bottom of that logo, it was a five and a half ounce oh. pour. So we could pour out to the bottom of the logo. Nice. Uh, we're lucky in our house, right? It doesn't matter. You can fill it right up to the brim. <laughs> Just be like, that's a five ounce pour. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's more of a legal thing than it is like, this is the proper way to drink. I don't know. It is. And it's a, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's all comes down to personal preference and then legality. So it's just uh, tends to be the way restaurants and kind of bars operate. But I mean, I'm, I'm not above a generous pour myself either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, still going along with the wine glass concept. I have seen a million different shapes for wine glasses. Please enlighten me on why there are so many shapes for wine glasses. Yeah. So with glassware, uh, there's so many different shapes because people have discovered scientifically too, you know, these companies like Riddell that makes all these beautiful glasses, um, the shape of the bowl. And when you pour a little bit of wine in it, so not a full glass uh, and you swirl it, what you're doing is you're actually increasing the surface area and it allows it to evaporate a little quicker. And some of those shapes- but we don't can, want it to evaporate. We want to <laughs> you want to You want to spin it and get that good smell first. Oh. The first sip is always the tester, I call it. It's whitewash, you're enjoying yourself, it's awesome. And then you want a full glass. <laughs> so with those glasses, what those, what those kind of shapes do, they essentially can concentrate smells better to the center of the glass. Or if they have those little like lips on them or different kind of edging, um, it, people talk about how it runs over your palate differently and you can taste it different. So it gets really uh, meta, very intense at that level of drinking when you have all these big bowls and these different glass shapes. Um, but the common theory is how it uh, essentially aerates the wine, how you can swirl it and essentially concentrate smells and flavors, how it pours into your mouth and then uh, comes down to being crystal or uh, glass essentially as well. So crystal, is like a mineral glass. It's got a ton of different components and it's really complicated. But for me, it's like a placebo. I think that if I sat down with you and I put two glasses in front of you and I said, all right, Amanda, this glass right here is made of glass. 
got a $10 cabinet. This glass is made of crystal, it's $200, and I poured a $100 Cabernet in it. Your senses, right, are already heightened for that experience, and you're gonna be careful with it and delicate, and you're gonna be like, oh, this is a moment, and I think that you're gonna experience the wine in a really different way. So I'm totally convinced that there's a placebo factor to a lot of glassware. <laughs> I bet, that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'll, I'll drink whatever. Oh yeah, put it, in a, put it in a sippy cup, I'll have, I'll have wine all day. <laughs> um, this question, with testing it, you said like you get that first taste and it's, you know, you're having mm -hmm. fun, whatever. In order to impress the people you're maybe out to dinner with and the waiter says, all right, are you going to try it on behalf of everyone else that's now gonna spend money on this bottle with you? How can you properly determine if that's like a good bottle? Uh, what I would recommend is, is, is just practice. You know, if you've ever drank a wine out of your fridge, maybe two or three days after you open it, it's going to taste really different um, and it's the same thing if you ever open a bottle of wine and you think you know you're run-of-the-mill something you drink every day and then every now and then you drink one of those bottles and you're like huh this one tasted really different um, so what you're looking for is flaws uh, when you go to take that first sip and that first smell you don't want it to smell like funky um, <laughs> my, my go-to indicators is always like like old books like musky mm. kind of like wet wet dog <laughs> I know that's exactly <laughs> So I always warn people, I was like, they're weird. You know, those are weird s smells to identify, but I call those flaws and they can come from a bad cork in the bottle. So really what you're just trying to identify, if they open a fresh bottle for you, you just want to know if it's good or bad. All wine, I'm totally unbiased. All wine is awesome. So it's <laughs> like when you open a bottle, I just want to make sure it's not bad from the get-go kind of thing, that it's spoiled by any means. Okay. So I'm just kind of looking for like, Oh, weird. It tastes kind of sour. Those kind of flavors that are just a little off. Mm -hmm. uh, other than that, I just close my eyes and go, this was great. Serve it to everybody. <laughs> Perfect. Because I used to get super nervous with that question. I think that was a very basic, easy way to do it. I thought it was, oh, <laughs> compared to every bottle I've ever had, let's compare this bottle. If this is good, bad, weird, strange. Like, no, you're just checking the smell and the taste. You're not determining if this bottle was ever supposed to get made or not like i thought it was like yeah. that level of importance no you're just seeing if it smells funky that's it <laughs> <laughs> that's what i that's my baseline like that's my baseline value for it 100 <laughs> percent. that's a great baseline i love that i feel a lot less stressed about the next moment this happens to me so perfect drinking should be fun don't stress yeah <laughs> of course i find a way to make it stressful though anyway uh but this was great i I have so many more questions. I'm sure we can always do a follow-up, but this, I think, was a really great starting point. Um, for listeners who want to hear more about your expert opinion on wine, how can people maybe get in touch with you and ask you more questions? Oh, for sure. So I, I tend to be pretty active on, on Instagram. That's my number one. You guys can absolutely, my, my profile's public. It's at Julian Drinks Wine. Classic. You can come check it out, see what I'm drinking, where I'm traveling. You can uh, message me. You can ask me about wine, how to buy it, where to find it. I'm totally happy to help in any way. Awesome. And Julian is the best. I'm so happy. I've been wanting to have him as my guest for a while. So I'm glad that we finally made this happen. Thank you so much, Julian. Yeah, thank you, Amanda. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers to you and cheers to everyone listening. We'll pop bottles with you next time and uh, drink responsibly. <laughs> Did you 
Did this episode make you thirsty? Well, tonight I am co-hosting a live wine tasting at 7 p.m. Eastern on the podcast Instagram account at How Did I Get This Far Pod. Joining me is Sarah Maule of Frederick Wildman and Sons, a company famous for importing high-quality French and Italian wines. Sarah grew up in a winery in Italy, and now she's in the States excited to introduce us to a red wine from the Santi Winery. You can explore all Frederick Wildman wines at frederickwildman.com, and you can buy some of their selection on reservebar.com. Can't wait to sip with you soon. If there is a basic task or aspect of life that you cannot grasp, or if you want to learn more about this topic, email howdidigetthisfar at gmail.com and tag at howdidigetthisfarpod on Instagram with your helpful hacks. Finally, please give the podcast a rating and review so the show can continue tackling more struggles. But that's as far as we will get for now. I'm Amanda Ogan. Thanks for listening.